Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Trump drops a big hint about running for the 2024 presidential election. Multiple networks citing anonymous sources expecting an announcement soon. Get ready. That's all I'm telling you. Very soon. Get ready. Republicans accuse the FBI and the DOJ of going after conservatives in a new report based on the disclosures of FBI whistleblowers. President Biden touts the new jobs report as big names of both parties hit the campaign trail in a final election sprint. Recent surveys show that candidates supporting cross-sex procedures for kids could lose a lot of votes. So why are many politicians still pushing it? We explore. And we hear from a New York City resident who says he'll be switching his vote this year after seeing the city descend into crime, including one just yesterday, a woman raped in public. Will former President Trump run again in 2024? He just gave what is arguably the clearest signal so far about his decision. Here's a clip from what he said. In order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very probably. Trump was speaking at a rally in Sioux City, Iowa on Thursday. His supporters cheered in response and Trump added, get ready, that's all I'm telling you very soon. Trump was in Iowa campaigning for Governor Kim Reynolds and Senator Chuck Grassley, both are Republicans seeking re-election. A number of former Trump advisors recently said that they expect Trump to formally announce his run for president soon. Multiple news outlets have also reported, citing anonymous sources, that Trump could officially announce his run for president as early as the week of November 14th. And House Republicans just released a thousand-page report based on FBI whistleblower allegations. They accuse the FBI and the DOJ of getting political. An investigative journalist says this could impact Trump's potential 2024 run. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Whistleblower after whistleblower has come forward over the past year to report abuses of power within the FBI and the Department of Justice. The alleged abuses range from covering up the story of Hunter Biden's laptop to investigating parents who spoke up at school board meetings. House Republicans on the Judiciary Committee have now released a thousand-page report based on the whistleblower's disclosures. They point out that most of the abuses target conservatives and they accuse the FBI and the Department of Justice of going after people based on politics, which undermines the FBI's fundamental law enforcement mission. I believe that this report has a fair amount of authority. I spoke uh, with Lee Smith, veteran journalist and author of The Plot Against the President. He said if former President Trump announces he is running for president, he expects the Department of Justice will try to bring charges against him, possibly for obstruction. But he said if Republicans take back the House, that might not be so easy. Will that make it harder for the DOJ to charge Donald Trump if there are people at the FBI and DOJ who are being investigated? If they continue to call down, if Republican uh, representatives can continue to call down Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray and other senior officials at DOJ and FBI, will they still be able to charge Donald Trump? I think it's going to make it a lot stickier for them to do so. Lee also gave credit to the whistleblowers for coming forward and risking their careers for the integrity of the agency. As of now, the FBI has retaliated against at least one whistleblower who spoke out. 
The GOP report says that all Justice Department and FBI employees have a right to speak with Congress, and they are encouraged to get in contact. The report can be found on the front page of the House Judiciary Committee website. Jason Perry, NTD News. We reached out to the FBI for comment. They said, quote, we follow the facts without regard for politics. While outside opinions and criticism often come with the job, we will continue to follow the facts wherever they lead. The Bureau adds that they have testified to Congress about how they do their work. And a jury today acquitted former President Trump's former advisor and friend, Tom Barrack. He was facing charges of acting as a foreign agent during the Trump administration. Barrack chaired Trump's inaugural committee in 2017 and has been a longtime advisor. The Justice Department accused him of acting as an unregistered foreign agent for the United Arab Emirates, obstructing justice and making false statements to the FBI. The jury acquitted him on all nine charges. Barrack's former assistant and co-defendant, Matthew Grimes, had also been accused of acting as a foreign agent. He, too, was acquitted on all charges. Barrack said he was happy as he came out of the courtroom. Trump praised the decision on Truth Social, saying that Barrack, quote, should have never been charged or tried. And President Biden today touted the latest jobs report. That's as big names of both parties enter the final sprint to Election Day. Here's NTD's Iris Tao with more. With Friday kicking off the final weekend sprint to Election Day, President Biden is stumping in California and touting his legislative wins. I work so darn hard to write and pass the Chips and Science Act to turn things around. But we also know folks are still struggling with inflation. It's our number one priority. That's why, with Mike's help and Scott's help, I signed the Inflation Reduction Act. He's campaigning with Congressman Mike Levin of San Diego, where a Democratic-leaning House seat is increasingly under threat. And I want to ask Congressman Mike Levin, thank him for welcoming me to his district today. And the appearance comes amid a partisan spar over a Friday jobs report, released just four days before the midterms. Biden touts the over 260,000 jobs added in October, while Republicans highlight an uptick in the unemployment rate, calling it the worst jobs report of the year. That's as big names of both parties enter a final stretch of campaigns. Biden will be rallying in Illinois tonight, and so will Vice President Kamala Harris on Sunday. Top House Republican Kevin McCarthy is also in Illinois today, campaigning with a Republican congressional candidate. And on Saturday, Biden and former President Obama will rally together in Philadelphia. The two will campaign for gubernatorial candidate Josh Shapiro, and perhaps more importantly, for Senate candidate John Fetterman. According to a poll released Thursday, Republican Senate candidate Mehmet Oz has surpassed Fetterman for the first time after their highly watched debate last week. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. And President Biden also commented on the protests in Iran. This is what he said during a political campaign in San Diego, California, yesterday. Don't worry, we're going to free Iran. They're going to free themselves pretty soon. Biden was campaigning for Democratic Congressman Mike Levin. His comment on Iran came after people at the rally held up displays on their phones saying, free Iran. Biden's remarks sparked outrage from the Iranian regime. John Kirby from the White House National Security Council later added that Biden was expressing solidarity and not signaling a new approach. People in Iran have been protesting the regime for over a month. That's after a 22-year-old woman died in police custody after her arrest for violating the regime's rules requiring hijabs for women. Close to 300 people have died in the protests so far. 
Reports say that the protests are still taking place. New surveys show that the majority of voters don't agree with the direction of the transgender movement, and candidates who support it could lose a lot of votes, especially as it relates to children. A new survey by the Trafalgar Group found that almost 73 percent of voters say they're not likely to vote for a candidate who supports allowing minors to use puberty blockers or undergo cross-sex procedures. A different poll found that 75 percent of voters who have an opinion on the issue think the transgender movement has gone too far by encouraging cross-sex procedures for kids. NTD spoke with Alex Newman, a journalist and educator who spent a lot of time learning about the transgender movement. He says there's a lot of what he calls pseudoscientific studies, claiming that cross-sex procedures are actually helping some children, when in reality that's not the case. Newman says there are two main reasons why many politicians, healthcare experts, and others still support the movement, even though a lot of citizens oppose it. The first reason is money. We're talking hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars over the life of this patient. You multiply that by thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially even millions now as the number of self-proclaimed transgenders in America skyrockets upward, you realize there's a very, very powerful monetary incentive here for people to be promoting this. The second reason, Newman believes, is a subversive agenda. There are very powerful forces in this world who are determined to destroy the nuclear family because it is the transmission belt for values, for culture, for religion, for tradition, for civilization from one generation to the next. Uh, and just like Karl Marx understood that you need to destroy the family, the totalitarians of today understand this very well as well. According to Newman, the path doesn't end with transgenderism. He says influential people, like some who are associated with the World Economic Forum, are now promoting transhumanism. If we can transcend the sex, the biology, the biological gender that God assigned to us or nature assigned to us at birth, uh, well, why can't we transcend our humanity itself? Why do we have to be stuck in, uh, as the Guardian called it, these uh, ape-brained meat sacks when we could live forever and have superhuman powers if we just merge with technology and become transhumans? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have not connected the dots yet, but this ideology, this movement is very dark, it's very nefarious. Newman says, however, that we should always be compassionate with people who believe they were born in the wrong body. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. But what's the most compassionate way to help them? An oft-cited report indicates that cross-sex drugs and procedures lower the risk of suicide for minors. But an expert says that study is seriously flawed. NTD's Arlene Richards has more from her conversation with Jay Green. In my last report, I talked about an Arkansas law that bans transgender treatments. Doctors in a case against the law say getting the treatments prevents suicides. In my conversation with Jay Green, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, he said kids who undergo cross-sex treatments are actually more likely to commit suicide. He addressed one of the most prominent studies of a correlation between transgender treatment and suicide. The study was led by Dr. Jack Turbin of Stanford Medical School and published in PLUS One in 2022. Turbin's study examined the results of a 2015 survey of more than 27,000 American adults who identify as transgender. Green says Turbin's study is faulty. When you talk about faulty research, how is the research faulty? In other words, the research that is saying that uh, drugs and, and surgical intervention will reduce suicide, how is that faulty? What they're doing is they're comparing those who sought and got the drugs when they were younger to those who sought and did not get the drugs when they were younger in terms of their current thinking about suicide. 
Green said there are many problems with this approach, but there is one problem that stands out. One of the criteria for being eligible for the drugs is that you're supposed to be psychologically stable at the time. So if you were unable to get these drugs when you were a young person, one of the reasons why you'd be unable to get them is because you were not psychologically stable enough. But he says doctors are reluctant to treat the underlying mental health problems. A number of states and professional associations prohibit treating gender dysphoria by getting the child more comfortable in his or her own skin, or what they call conversion therapy. He says it's easier for doctors to prescribe the drugs and not focus on the psychological issues that cause kids to think they are in the wrong body. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And in New York City, more details about a homeless man arrested in connection with the rape of a 43-year-old woman. She was attacked yesterday while out on a morning jog in West Village. Carl Fanor is also accused of attacking two other women earlier in the year and has a history of arrests. The New York Post put the number of arrests at 18, with an additional seven sealed to the public. The attack comes amid a spike in crime in the West Village, an area filled with 19th-century townhouses and cobblestone streets. The NYPD says some crimes in that precinct have increased by nearly 85 percent since last year, and residents in the area are growing worried. I spoke with a man who runs an art gallery there. Eli Klein's business is just steps away from yesterday's crime scene, a picturesque promenade overlooking the Hudson River. Eli Klein, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Eli, your art gallery is just across the street from where a horrendous crime took place yesterday morning, and it's a beautiful part of the city. How did you learn about the attack? I was actually, uh, I live nearby as well, so I uh, generally jog every morning with my dog, and I was jogging by uh, at around 7.30 a.m., and I saw the area where I would usually run blocked off and all the police activity, and I, uh, I asked them what's going on, and I learned about it then. As a resident and as someone with a business right there, right nearby, how does it feel to know something like that could happen? Well, you know, unfortunately, I certainly knew something like that could happen prior to this happening. Um, we've been, you know, especially in the recent uh, couple of years, been really seeing a lot of uh, a lot of crime uh, in in the area and in New York generally. Um, a lot of it has been too close to home, as this incident was. And it was obviously horrific hearing about it. Uh, learning about the details is, uh, you know, was sickening. Delighted that they caught the uh, the perpetrator or the suspected uh, attacker. And, you know, he happened to be someone who had done uh, something similar to two other women, uh, one very close to this incident and one on the east side of Manhattan. So, you know, that's good news that hopefully, uh, you know, they can keep him off the streets this time. Unfortunately, he had been arrested uh, what looks like 18 times prior to, uh, to this, uh, which obviously doesn't give um, me a lot of confidence that he won't be out on the streets again anytime soon. So it's a very difficult situation we're dealing with uh, here in New York. And, you know, it's one reason why uh, people like me and, and, you know, those that are like-minded and, you know, other rational, uh, lifelong New Yorkers, and I'm a lifelong Democrat as well, uh, are eager, finally, to vote, um, to vote for a Republican, to be honest. We just want change. This isn't the first thing that happened that's close to home. I mean, you know, just last week, uh, my gallery was attempted burglarized. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a home invasion uh, uh, right next door. Um, you know, I, 
in in February of this year, my longtime uh, friend and someone who worked for me for four years named uh, Christina Yunali was stalked and brutally murdered in Chinatown by someone who had been arrested prior to killing Christina. And at some point, uh, enough is enough. And we really do need something to change. And how confident are you that a Republican governor could lower crime? Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Greenwich Village. I've lived here my whole life. So I remember uh, when New York City had to bring in a Giuliani uh, to fix our situation. Um, you know, a Republican mayor for the, for the first time I can remember. And he did uh, wonders with the crime situation uh, in New York City. So, you know, there's no question under, uh, under Republican leadership, the, the policies and the uh, initiative can be tougher on crime. And there's all sorts of things. You know, I'm not an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination, but there's all sorts of things like cashless bail and, and other things that, you know, at this point, really... Uh, a lot of people are, are just like enough is enough. And, you know, our current governor seems to have no real motivation to change any of these things. Uh, the first time I heard her, you know, really talking or trying to talk tough on crime was when a polling showed that, you know, Lee Zeldin uh, could win this election. Um, and, you know, that doesn't inspire confidence. And, and certainly uh, we don't trust and I don't trust that she will actually you know, do the tough things that are necessary in order for us to reverse this this negative course that we're on uh, and start cleaning up the city. I mean, it, it just seems to get worse every day. I've had more uh, run-ins um, with uh, unfortunate run-ins, you know, close to me, close to my family, close to my home this year than, uh, than I've ever had in a similar time frame in my life, by far. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, crime was worse in the 1980s in New York, you know, maybe so, but it certainly doesn't seem that way. Uh, and we're not in the 1980s. We, we prefer things uh, to get better and better, or at least remain stagnant. Uh, when things are going downhill so rapidly, it's clear that it's time for a change. And you're obviously not the only New York Democrat saying they'll vote for Republicans this midterm. How many people do you know who feel this way? You know, I, I really do know a lot, um, you know, in person and uh, online. I, I have I am relatively active on Twitter uh, since 2020 and, you know, have connected with a lot of other uh, New York Democrats that will be voting Republican this time as well. Um, I think what we have here in New York is an awkward situation where a lot of people in New York City want change as well, can't vocally uh, tell other people that they're voting Republican because it's almost like a cancelable offense here. But when they get into, you know, a kind of a, a private voting situation on Tuesday, uh, you can bet that they will be voting uh, right down the ticket. All right. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Eli Klein. Great to speak with you. Thanks so much for having me again. At the time of Christina Unali's murder, her accused killer had been released from jail without bail after a string of misdemeanor arrests. The suspect in yesterday's attack, Fanor, was in court today and remains in custody. Yesterday's victim is recovering in the hospital. And if you'd like to reach out with feedback or news tips for our show, please do by emailing us at eveningnews at ntd.com. We're always glad to hear from you. And coming up, over $10,000 donated to Democratic candidates facing competitive midterm races. They all come from a top lobbyist for Chinese telecom giant Huawei. 
And in college football, it's number one versus number two this Saturday in a rare Titanic matchup. NTD's Dave Martin has the story, that and more coming up. top lobbyist for Chinese telecom giant Huawei has donated to several Democratic candidates' midterm campaigns. The federal government deems Huawei a national security threat for its close links with the Chinese communist regime. Thomas Green is a senior counsel at multinational law firm Sidley Austin and a top lobbyist for Chinese telecom giant Huawei. And he has donated more than $10,000 to eight Democratic campaigns in the past month. This is according to data from Open Secrets, a nonprofit group that tracks political spending. The money went primarily to Democrats facing competitive races in battleground states. The Huawei lobbyists donated $2,000 each to Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona and Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, $1,500 to Ohio Senate candidate Tim Ryan, another $1,500 to Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman, $1,000 to Sherry Beasley, who's running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina, $1,000 to Mandela Barnes, who's running for the U.S. Senate in Wisconsin, another $1,000 to Senator Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, and $500 to Maryland congressional candidate Glenn Ivey. Green has helped to lead Huawei's lobbying team since 2019, when the company hired his law firm to lobby for its interests. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The Brooklyn Nets have suspended star guard Kyrie Irving for five games without pay, explaining that they were dismayed that, quote, when given an opportunity in a media session that Kyrie refused to unequivocally say he has no anti-Semitic beliefs nor acknowledge specific hateful material in the film. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. Irving then posted an apology on Instagram saying, quote, to all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain and I apologize. Nets general manager Sean Marks said the apology was a good start, but Irving will also have to undergo counseling as well as a meeting with Jewish leaders in the Brooklyn community before he can rejoin the team. And in college football news, a rarity of sorts this Saturday as the top two teams in the AP poll square off with number one Georgia hosting second-ranked Tennessee. Now this is just the 25th regular season matchup of the top two teams in NCAA history. And with just four playoff spots available, this matchup of undefeated teams essentially becomes a play-in game. Vols already beat mighty Alabama 52-49 to vault themselves into the national title picture. They rely on a top-ranked scoring offense that averages just under 50 points a game. Defending champion Georgia, meanwhile, boasts the nation's second-ranked scoring defense at just over 10 points a contest and are currently 8.5-point favorites. And for your sports viewing this evening, 12 NBA games are planned for tonight, including one with the lone unbeaten team, the Milwaukee Bucks, playing at Minnesota. Meanwhile, the NHL has just one game scheduled for tonight with Carolina hosting Buffalo. And finally, for you college football fans, 23rd ranked Oregon State takes on Washington tonight at 10.30 Eastern. And that's all for your sports. 
Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave, and thanks to you. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Until then, I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.